Morning. Before we jump in, I wanted to say a couple things. I, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to celebrate uh, the Christmas offering total with you. And I, uh, I just wanted to say how, how grateful I am to serve in a church with such generous people. Uh, generous towards our city, generous towards other countries, generous towards even this place. And so uh, I'm excited to see how, how uh, we get to move forward in now dispersing some of this stuff out into people's lives. So thank you for that. Um, and the second thing I wanted to throw out is uh, I am not, I'm not aware if you may be currently suffering due to the government shutdown. Um, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm truly sorry for that. We are praying for you, but also if there's a way that maybe we can serve you or come alongside you or help you in any way, if you want to connect with us, you could even use one of those connect cards and, and say, yeah, you know, I've been out of work for or not being paid or, or whatever the situation is that we could either be praying for or find some other way to come along and help you and just drop those in our offering boxes. We just, we just want to be here. And um, I don't know how long it may go on. It may mean that we have greater, greater opportunity to serve and love people in our city. But, but for this morning, uh, we want to love and serve you. So that would be helpful. Uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to kind of dive into the word together. The prayer is simply this. As we have welcomed each other, may we pause and welcome God. Amen. My kids are in the process right now of, of college. One is at college, the second one is deciding where to go to college. And I came across a mission statement of a very well-known university. I'm going to put it up here. The mission statement of this university is to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's pretty strong. This uh, university was founded in 1636, and every diploma issued from this place had this phrase, Christo et Ecclesia, and it's surrounding the word veritas, which means truth in Christ and in the church. Can you guess this college? It is Harvard University. Now, 80 years after its founding, some people got together and they said, we think that Harvard is kind of drifting away from this mission. So they approached a wealthy philanthropist named Elihu Yale, who founded a new college called Elihu. No, it was Yale. <laughs> now, Yale's motto was not just veritas, which means truth, but it was lux et veritox, light and truth. Now... There's no question today that Harvard and Yale's legacy of academic excellence are impeccable. They are right up there with Texas A&M University as the <laughs> top three universities, no question. But I think we would agree, and this is maybe why you laughed, that uh, neither school resembles what their founders envisioned, right? They started with a very clear goal, academic excellence, and Christian spiritual formation, but now they're in a place very different. Why? What happened? They stopped paying attention to the founder's purpose. When we stop paying attention to the right things in our lives, we drift. 
Before this summer, I was not paying attention to what I was eating and how I was uh, not exercising, and my weight drifted. (laughs) Marriages don't usually fall apart overnight, but they drift apart over time as things are not paid attention to. Jonathan pointed this out last week. All humans drift. And this is the situation that the book of Hebrews that we're studying in this Bible addresses. These are people who had begun a journey with Jesus, but they were starting to neglect some things. They were starting to stop paying attention to things, and they were floating away from faith. And so the author had written this letter to them to remind them, no, 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 Jesus is worth it. He's better than any other option out there. He's worth following. But following Jesus sometimes means more than saying something. It means intention. And we're in a series right now, beginning this year, called Seven. And the reason that we're in this series is because this is the time of year at Pulpit Rock that we gather together around January or February, and we reaffirm our commitment to this place for the next year. We reaffirm our commitment to each other for the next year. We reaffirm our commitment to God for the next year. It's our membership affirmation. You'll start seeing some of those next week, and we always give those out, and we say, hey, would you pray about walking with us for this next year? And it's a good way to kind of keep us honest and fresh about, uh, about how we walk together. And so we thought it would be helpful this year to look at seven truths that undergird the teaching here at Pulpit Rock. Seven things that we try to see come out in our, in our sermons, that come out in our teachings, in our student ministry, in our children's ministry. And so let me just give you an overview of what these seven are. It's kind of this image of a horizon. In the center, the sun is the gospel. Above the horizon is, is, is thinking about ways that we love God. And we've talked in the last few, we talked last week about identity. We talked about how important it is to sustain your journey with God, about listening to God and responding to him. And then as we think about loving other people, we look at helpful truths like how do we love our neighbor? What does it look like for us to live in community with other Christ followers? And then what does it mean for us to be people who have been sent to be sent? How do we live that out in the world? And so we're walking through these and and kind of giving some undergirding to uh, what it means to be a part of Pulpit Rock. Now, we've already talked about the gospel and we talked about identity. This morning, we're going to shift a little bit and talk about this word, listen. And last week, uh, Jonathan was in Hebrews chapter 2. I'd like to go back to there because there's some stuff in there that will help us unpack that. So you guys with me? Are you listening? Ah, see? Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. Let me read the first four verses to us, and then we'll go back and unpack it. I'm reading out of the New Testament for everyone. So then, we must pay all the closer attention to what we heard, in case we drift away from it. You see, if the word which was spoken through angels was reliable, with appropriate and just punishment every time anyone broke it or disobeyed it, How shall we escape if we ignore a rescue as great as this? It started by being declared through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God bore witness as well, along with them, in signs and wonders and many different types of powerful deeds. And by the Holy Spirit distributed in accordance with his will. That's that first section. So let me go back there. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we saw in the first chapter that while God has said many, many things in many ways and in many times and through prophets and through angels, the best thing he ever said was Jesus. 
And that introduced us to our, that first word, our helpful truth, the word gospel. That Jesus was more than just a great word, he's a great king. And he's working right now to bring us towards a kingdom where all of life will finally and fully be the way God intended. And so what he's saying here in Hebrews uh, 2, verse 2, he says, if people in the past ignored God's word through angels, and Jesus is much better than angels, and there was punishment for ignoring that, how much more important is it to pay attention to what Jesus said? So then, we must pay all the closer attention to what we heard in case we drift away from it. Look at that phrase, pay all the closer attention. This phrase is actually just one word in the original language of the author, and it's really interesting. It means to turn the mind towards something so that you can act upon it. To turn your mind towards something so that you can act upon it. I've always been a great note taker. Uh, I, I take notes in class. I take notes in church. I take notes in conversation. If you and I go to coffee, I'm writing things down because I, I think, oh, that was really good, or uh, I'm never going to say that again, or whatever. I've always believed that a short pencil is better than a long memory, and so I'm going to write stuff down. But there is a difference between taking notes and taking action. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus would say this phrase, and it's really a weird phrase. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And imagine that everyone standing around Jesus most likely had ears. Uh, maybe you had a Roman soldier who had lost one in battle, or maybe you had a leper who had lost one to the disease, but I would assume most people have ears. If you heard him say it, you had ears. But when Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, he's not talking about taking notes. He's talking about taking action. For Jesus, paying attention meant responding to his words. So if you went back and you said, hey, let me tell you everything Jesus said, but you didn't do anything with that, Jesus would say, actually, you, you didn't listen. Jessica and I used to have this phrase early in our marriage. We would say this to one another. Well, just so you know, just so you know, I put your dirty clothes away. Well, just so you know, the garage door was left open again last night. Well, just so you know, this thing didn't get done. Now, we were immature, and we weren't saying this just because we really cared about this person finding this information, right? It was a way to dig at each other. Jesus never will say, just so you know. What he's saying is, just so you'll do. I'm telling you this so that you will listen and respond to what I'm saying. And so back in Hebrews, the author is saying, if we don't keep paying attention to Jesus, if we don't keep listening to him and responding to the things that he says, then we run the risk of drifting away. It's almost like if you're in a sailboat and you decided to stop paying attention to the rudder and stop paying attention to the sails and you kind of just took a nap and you woke up and you go, where am I? I never intended to get here. Well, what happened was you drifted away. Let me pause for a second and just give you a second to, to think about this question in your mind. Where have you seen drift in your spiritual journey? When is, have there been a season of your life where you feel like, you know, I was really, that was a time I was just kind of drifting. Maybe it was in college. Maybe it's right now. 
Drifting happens when we don't pay attention to Jesus. And it's, it's this other thing. It's when we don't take ownership of our listening. It's easy to go, well, other people listen to God, and then I just write down what they say, and then I'm good. Now, we have to figure out how, how are we uniquely and, and individually going to hear. Well, first of all, it's important to remember how we got these words. Look back in verse 3. The author is going to remind us that these powerful words of Jesus that we are to pay attention to, they didn't just you know, show up on the ground. There's a, a way that they came to us, various ways. It started by being declared through the Lord. It was confirmed by those who heard him. God bore witnesses well, signs and wonders, many different types of powerful deeds by the Holy Spirit. He says, first we have the words of Jesus himself, what Jesus declared through the Lord. It, these are the stories he told, the parables he shared. These are the commands he gave, the ways he told us to live. We, we also have eyewitnesses, those who heard him, those who were standing there and said, I'm going to capture this. I'm going I'm to cross-check it with the other eyewitnesses. I'm going to put it into a book. I'm going to call it Matthew or John or Luke. And then it says, God bore witness to the truth of Jesus' words through amazing signs and wonders. One of the things that happened in the early days is, when, we see this in the book of Acts, is when, when people would go out and they would teach the stories and the truths of Jesus, people's lives changed. People got healed. Families were transformed. Communities became different. And then there's this new presence people began to be aware of, this motivating force. And all of a sudden, people are saying, I have a new power to make choices. I, I have new ideas about how to live different lives. And this motivating force was the presence of God that we call the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us, when I leave you, I won't leave you alone. I'm going to send you the presence of God to continue to speak to us. And listen to how he described him. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, though, he will guide you in all the truth. He won't speak on his own account, you see, but he will speak whatever he hears. Even though God said his very best thing when he said Jesus, that didn't mean he was done talking. A Holy Spirit who we welcome into our lives when we follow Jesus guides us in this message of Jesus. He's always reminding us of what God said. He's reminding us of what is true. He's helping us to point out what lies are and distinguish them from the reality and the voice of God. And this is why we spend a lot of time, this is one of our helpful truths, tr listen, it's one of the reasons we spend a lot of time at Pulp Rock talking about the voices we listen to. How do I identify, is this a lie? How do I replace it with truth? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He is actively involved in helping us do this very thing. It's almost like he's an ongoing course director. Hey, that's not true. Bringing us back to the words of Jesus. If you think about it, we kind of have these four voices that are in our head. This is where it gets kind of confusing. First of all, there's your own voice. It's the voice that you have that's telling you things and, and oh, i got to remember to do this or I'm thinking this. But then we have other people's voices that find a way into our head. They have a powerful effect of shaping our own voice. If you are told by your father year after year after year that you are lazy and worthless... The voice that you tell yourself begins to be shaped by that, right? I was talking with a guy yesterday who said, man, I, I actually had this powerful experience that my father constantly told me how proud he was of me, how proud he was of me. And he goes, even today, when I look at my five-year-old and I say, son, I'm so proud of you, he says, I hear my father say, and I'm proud of you too. See, these other voices have great power to weave into our voice. 
A third voice that we hear is the voice of the enemy of our souls. And I don't know exactly how he works, but I know what he wants to do. He wants to gleefully latch onto any untrue or hurtful words and amplify them in our minds. And then into all this kind of maelstrom of, of sound, there's God who says, I have a still small voice and I'm trying to speak into you. But sometimes it's hard to discern God's voice amidst our voice and the things other people have said to us and the enemy, it's all mixed up. Let me give an example of this. <clears throat> Imagine that you are a 12-year-old boy. You have begun to feel different from your peers. You notice that you're attracted not to the girls in your class, but to the other boys in your class. You try to fit in, but it seems that in some ways that you just, you just feel different and the differentness is being picked up by others and you begin to experience some teasing, maybe some name-calling, some bullying. The voice that you keep hearing is, he is not one of us. Now, eventually, you might give name to these feelings, and you might be 13 or 14 or 15, and you might say, I'm going to voice this out loud. I am gay. But you don't want to take that any further than the confines of your bedroom. You're afraid and live in fear of your family or your friends finding out. What would their voice say? You pay attention to the jokes that your friends make. You pay attention to the comments that your dad makes as he watches the news. You pay attention to the way that mom is trying to change you. All these are voices. And then you come to church and you have become a little bit self-protected and you're prepared to be rejected. Will people judge me? Will I be safe? And these voices began to shape the voice in your head, and you begin to feel more lonely and isolated. Maybe you try to take control of those voices. Maybe you try to repress who you are, and you use every ounce of power you have, and it doesn't work. Maybe you go to one of your trusted youth leaders, and you tell them, and, and they do all the right things, and they, they tell you the truth, and they hug you, and then they never speak to you again. And their silence is a voice. And you begin to wonder about God. Has God disowned me? And these voices in your life become this internal operating system that is always anticipating condemnation wherever you go. Your panic button is always on. Now into all this, there is still a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is whispering to you saying, I love you, come to me. But how difficult can it be to hear that voice when your operating system is geared to respond to everything as a threat? Will you find a place that is safe and welcoming to you? Will you find a place that will give you kindness and space and time as you walk this journey? Will you find a place that will help you peel away the untrue statements that are coming to you so you can hear the most important true statements? Who's going to help you hear God's still small voice? Now, this is just one example of many we could use when, if we don't learn to identify and reject the voices that distort our faith identity, we're not going to be able to pay attention to Jesus. And when we stop paying attention to Jesus, we drift. The key is this. Just like these first followers of Jesus in Hebrews, we can choose to pay attention to the words of Jesus or we can choose not to listen and find ourselves drifting away. So this is why we think that listen is one of our most helpful truths at Pulpit Rock. 
and why we think everyone needs to take ownership of their listening. So let me ask you again, how are you taking ownership of your listening? Where would you say in your life that you say, I, I, I am personally hearing Jesus speak to me and I'm responding to him? Let me share with you a couple things I've learned about listening and just give you some ideas as we wrap up. I began to realize how easy it is for us to fall into familiar paths, ways of, of walking with God that become secondhand. Maybe when you first started following Christ, someone said, I'm so excited that you're following Christ. Let me show you this system of how you do it. And you go, okay, so I memorize this and I write this and I, okay, that's it. Great, and there's nothing wrong with it. And that's the one that you have done for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Or maybe you grew up in a spiritual tradition that said, no, no, that, that way is wrong. We don't do that. Uh, we do it this way. And you can get into a narrow road on your journey. So this summer I took a sabbatical and I was meeting with my sabbatical advisor and he gave me some advice. This, is the, this might be the, the, the most shocking thing you might ever hear someone give advice to a pastor going on sabbatical. Here was his advice. Thomas, why, do you not, why don't you set your Bible down and not read it this summer? That's kind of crazy. But he and I had been talking and I would realized that I've been reading this book for 35 years. I love reading it. I love studying it. I love thinking about how to share it with other people. At the same time, though, it's, it's, it's like my one way to hear from God. And what I began wondering was, were there other ways to talk to God? So I closed my Bible the day before my sabbatical, and I didn't open it again till the day after my sabbatical. And many of you are like, oh, well, that's where he went wrong. You know, <laughs> that makes sense. But it was about a few weeks in because I was like, well, what do I do with God if I'm not in the Bible? Because for me, uh, there are four elements to hearing God. You need a Bible, you need a pen, you need a journal, and a cup of coffee. All four of those things, when they are present, the Holy Spirit comes and you hear from God. That's how it works. I've done that for decades. About a few weeks in, I felt like I heard God say this. Thomas, do you realize that you dictate the terms of our relationship? You decide when we're going to meet. You decide how long we're going to meet. You decide where you're going to read. You decide what you're going to write down. And then when you're done, you decide, you know, it's time to get up. Could it be, he said, that I want to show up unannounced in your life? And I was like, what? I've got time on Tuesday, if that's what you're... So here are some things I tried, just throwing these out. Um, I began reading poetry by Christian authors. Poems make me slow down. They were some new ways of me thinking about God. I began studying how I was created. I, I found a tool called the Enneagram, which is an ancient tool for identifying the unique ways that we connect with God. When you begin to learn how God created you, it, starts, it started giving me some insight into how God wanted to speak to me. And I discovered he wants to speak to me through some of my emotions, which I, I realized I have more than one. That's, that was a really insightful thing. Um, God says, be still and know that I am God. I have been practicing stillness. I'm rarely still with God. In fact, sitting down and reading the Bible is one of the least still things I do. It's extremely active. I'm writing, I'm checking over here, I'm looking. This That's an active, active. It's hard to hear the Spirit when we're always moving. My goal right now is to work myself up to 
being still for 10 minutes a day. I'm at about 90 seconds right now. It's kind of hard. It is hard. But just to be still and say, I'm not going to, I just want to be. One more idea. I started meeting with a spiritual director. We're in an evangelical tradition uh, that is really good at teaching people to feed themselves. We equip you to read the Bible for yourself. We're also really good at having us connect with peers. Let's get into a small group where I can hear God's voice uh, through one another. But we're not great at yielding our lives to someone else. Ooh, that sounds weird. And, and you go to some places like Catholic churches and they, they do a much better job. It's much more an easy part of that. After decades of being a pastor this summer, I realized I, I need a pastor. I need someone that I can yield to a little bit. So I started meeting with this pastor downtown. We'll sit together, and he'll ask me questions like this. Where have you been open to God lately? Huh. And I think back, and I realize these are ways God's communicating. Then he'll say, where have you been closed to God this week? Oh. I'm getting to identify that there were some ways God wanted to talk to me, and I shut that down. These are just some, some paths I, I threw out as examples of ways I'm learning to listen better. I do not want to drift in the second half of my life. I want to sail. I want to not lie at anchor. Learning to listen is the key to not drifting. How are you learning to listen? I know we're a few weeks past New Year's Eve resolutions, but let me just throw something out. As we begin 2019, would you consider learning a new way to listen to Jesus? What if this year was a year that you shook it up? Uh, try something new. Maybe for some of you, it is picking up a Bible. You may say, you know, I never even, I don't own a Bible or I, I never really use a Bible until you say turn, you know, on my phone, turn to this page. What if you took a Bible, found a great new one that re reads well for you, you pick the Gospel of John, you read one chapter a day for a month, and you say, every time you read it, just Jesus speak to me. Or maybe you sign up for Second Table in February. This is where we learn to listen to God through conversations and meals. And actually, the curriculum is walking through these seven most helpful truths. Or maybe you unpack how God has uniquely designed you. Two books I would recommend, I'll just throw these out. One is called Sacred Pathways, path, sorry, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. It has some uh, different ways of listening to God. Uh, uh, for example, one of the ways is for some people, they, they hear God more when they're out in nature. And so you, it might give you some freedom to explore some ways that you didn't think were there. A second book I'd recommend is called The Road Back to You. This is an introduction to the Enneagram. It might help you understand ways that you get tripped up, ways that you've blocked communication from God, habits that, that could be broken, and maybe some new paths to hearing him again. But I want to close this. One of the, one of the ways that um, <clears throat> I have listened to God for the last 10 years is every January I go get a rock and I write uh, a word on it or a phrase that I feel like I heard from God. This year, um, my rock says... God surprise me. Jonathan had suggested before that I throw this out in the audience as an example of surprise, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. This is me telling God, God, I am ready and welcome for you to come to me and speak to me unannounced and in new and different ways. And so this is, this is one way that I'm, when I see this rock in my office every day, it triggers the, oh yes, I'm going to be listening today. We live in a world of noise. 
We have more information at our fingertips than any humans previously on this planet. The issue for us is not learning more. It is listening better. Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. We pick out his voice from the cacophony in us and around us so that we can truly follow him. And so I want to close with a prayer I'm going to put up on this screen. And I want to give you a moment to just pray this prayer and own it and begin the process of listening to him today. And the prayer is simply this. Jesus, teach me to learn to listen to you in a new way this year. Will you take a moment and pray this to Christ?